know what time it is. What's up, everybody? Welcome into a new episode, the first episode of 2022 of Scarlet and Gray Stripes, a subset of the Two Stripes podcast. My name is Colton Benning, and I am your host. I'm recording this show on January 6th, so it's, what, Thursday? Yeah, 2022. Uh, Like I said, first episode of the year. want to thank you all for listening here in the new year. Hope you guys had a wonderful holidays, wonderful Uh, New Year's, all of that good stuff. Make sure to, if this is your first time listening to the show first, welcome um, and subscribe to the show if you like it. You can find this episode and all of the Two Stripes podcast, the regular Two Stripes podcast episodes where I talk nothing but just other college football, not involving Ohio State. Uh, You can find it right here in the same feed on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash pod. You can find all my YouTube work on YouTube, obviously, youtube.com slash Colton Denning, all the highlight stuff. I have the uh, CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba Skycam highlights from the Rose Bowl. I have pretty much all of the main Ohio State players from this year. I got their season highlights up. There's a few more trickling in, but uh, that's pretty much done for for the most part and now I'm gonna start doing the uh the throwback highlights and then just kind of other uh random college football stuff on the YouTube channel uh this offseason I'm really excited to get back into that and uh make sure to keep your eye on two stripescpd.com the number two stripescpd.com I'll have a bunch of college football stuff up there as well all right let's get into today's show it's been a while this is the Rose Bowl recap everybody else has recorded their rose bowl recap podcast so i'm sorry it's been uh the hectic last couple of weeks hectic week um if you know where i'm from i'm from uh boulder in colorado and my hometowns in louisville and superior were the towns that uh, if you've been keeping up with the news last week i think it was on thursday so at this yeah at this time last week i uh, pretty much got engulfed by fire. And I had a, a bunch of friends lose their homes, uh, parents of friends, childhood homes. Uh, so I've kind of just been taking it easy this week. Thankfully, my parents were safe. Um, and everybody that I know and am friends with are safe. Uh, and so I've just been kind of taking it easy. And uh, my thoughts are always with, uh, with them and anybody back home listening. Uh, it's probably going to be a while before I come back home, but I'm I'm really uh, thinking about you guys and uh, just just a tough tough week for everybody back home. So that's kind of where my mind has been for a lot of uh, this week and why I waited to record for as long as I did. But everybody, for the most part, seems safe, and uh, you know everybody's going to get back on their feet. Everybody out there is so resilient, so friendly. And so kind and, and helpful with uh, with the rebuilding efforts. So uh, shout out to everybody back home. I'm thinking of uh, you all back out there. Kind of tough to transition from talking about that to just something as minuscule and unimportant as football. But I'm going to do my best uh, because I'm here to talk about the Rose Bowl, give my end of season thoughts about Ohio State and some other stuff. And uh, it was actually a good thing that I waited until today to record because this morning on Thursday... Uh, it was before I talk about the Rose Bowl, I want to talk about this. It was announced that Greg Stoudrawa, Ohio State's offensive line coach, has been fired. He's been let go initially. It looked like uh, they were just parting ways. I think football scoop was the first one that had it. I want to make sure I get that right because the first person I saw it from was Austin Ward on 
on three sports. But I guess looking at the article here, it was Football Scoop that reported it. And then I saw the post from 11 Warriors that was like, no, he was fired. So, yeah, Greg Shudrawa fired uh, as Ohio State's offensive line coach. He'd been there since, what, 2016, 2017? It had been a while. Um, And this is a move that I think many of us online, at least, were screaming for. And I I know there's the thing of, like, you never – you never like to see anybody lose their job. I, I think that sports and coaching in particular is a little bit different. It's it's not like uh, one of your coworkers or just some random person. You know, it's still their job. And, you know, you, Greg Shudrawa still, I think, has earned like our respect to not completely trash him on the way out. But I think it is a little different when it comes to coaching. And this is something that had to be done. It was past time for this to happen. And quite frankly, like, he just wasn't good enough. Ohio State's offensive line wasn't good enough. Uh, the recruiting overall wasn't good enough, despite the fact that they still have a ton of blue chips along the offensive line at all of those positions. There were some high-profile misses that they couldn't afford to miss on and, and some battles with other top-tier teams. And just quite honestly, like I said, the offensive line wasn't good enough. I went on Twitter today and made an, another video uh, thread and where I look back at Ohio State's short yardage situations this year and third and short fourth and short especially against good teams against the five best teams they played or five best defenses they played Penn State Oregon Nebraska Michigan and then Utah in the Rose Bowl uh, they didn't win those battles and there was various degrees of them losing like Michigan they got their ass kicked Penn State Nebraska I think they got their ass kicked Oregon was kind of a toss-up and I think Utah I mean, they held their own, but they they ran for 110 yards. So, you know, when has that ever been acceptable at Ohio State? It just was time for it to happen. And it was a mixture of everything, the recruiting, the on-field results, what happened this year. And along with the defense, I think you can point to the play of the offensive line. And I guess uh, to not make it totally about the kids, I think the way that they were shuffled, the fact that they uh, moved – Thayer Mumford inside, they started Daywan Jones, and we can argue all day whether that was the right decision or not. I don't think it was the right decision. I don't think they played the best five for the positions that they actually play. Uh, it just, I, I think the results speak for themselves, and the Michigan game speaks for itself. And I wonder, this is probably something that was going to happen. I know some people said they were surprised. I'm surprised that Ryan Day pulled the, the plug on this one too, but I wonder if Ryan Day and Gene Smith and anybody else who makes decisions at Ohio State, if they watch Michigan's game with Georgia and saw the Michigan defensive line, I mean, I don't know if they got completely dominated, but uh, they, they weren't what they were in the Ohio State game. I wonder if they watched that game, and I know it was the day before the Rose Bowl, so probably not, and I'm just, you know, spitballing here, but Uh, If watching Michigan get their ass kicked retroactively made them kind of have some second thoughts, like you, you get worked by Michigan the way you do in the end of the year. And it's like, okay, Aiden Hutchinson, David Ojabo, the guys inside, like those dudes are really good. And then they beat Iowa, whatever. And then you kind of just see Georgia not be phased at all by them. And I wonder if that was a moment of self-reflection for day after the fact. And maybe that was something after the Rose Bowl that he kind of 
dove into. I don't know. I'm just kind of making stuff stuff up as I go here. But I wonder if that played at least a little bit of a role or it was something that was in his mind of like, mm, man, maybe maybe there was a little more to it than just Michigan being really good. And I don't want to take any credit away from Michigan because they just kicked Ohio State's line's ass in that game. But I, I definitely think that uh, that, that plays may, may have played a little bit of a part into it. Who knows? But regardless, Greg Strudrawa gone. I don't really know what they're going to do next. I've heard the chatter about one of the dudes at UCLA and a couple of other names. I know none of this stuff. I'm not an insider. Anything that I say in those regards, like what I just said, is just me spitballing off the top of my head. So I don't know. I don't know enough about the other candidates, but I just know one thing, and that it's Ohio State's line has to be better because that, coupled with the defense, were the two biggest culprits this year. And if they had a little bit more of a run game, they may have been able to at least help their defense and hold on to the ball. I don't know. But the the offensive line, relative to Ohio State standards, and I think that that's important, relative to Ohio State's standards, not Syracuse or Boston College or any non-ACC team that I can't think of right now, Oregon State, whoever, uh, just because Ohio State still runs the ball relative to 85% of the rest of the country doesn't mean it's good by their standards because this year it just, it wasn't. And that's the the simple fact. And it was one of the things that cost them in those big games because they didn't win those big games this year, except for the Rose Bowl, which I'll talk about here in a second. But while I'm talking about news that's broken since uh, the Rose Bowl, there was also a high profile transfer that came in the other day from Oklahoma State. Uh, safety Tanner McAllister. He's coming over from Oklahoma State. Uh, very familiar, obviously, with Jim Knowles, new Ohio State defensive coordinator and his schemes. Again, I'm not going to get into scheme stuff. Seems like people smarter than me know that this is a good fit for this defense. It's going to help to have somebody that's a, a veteran and has already made plays in it. I think help digest that on a player level to everybody else on the defense. I think that that's a big key. Not only are you getting somebody who is knowledgeable about the defense, but is legitimately good in it. So that is helpful on both of those fronts there. And I mean, we're just, we're not going to see for another 200, whatever something days, or I guess until uh, the spring game at the very least, which I mean, at some point in April, but uh, I think that that's a good thing. And we're going to start to see uh, a little bit more of that as the off season goes on. And I don't think he's going to be the last impact uh, defender to come in from the transfer porter portal on this defense. So good stuff there. We'll get into it more as the offseason goes on. Let's talk about what we came here for, and that's the Rose Bowl. And again, sorry that I'm this late on it. If you just want to listen to those first 10 minutes and be done with it because you're all Rose Bowled out, that's, that's fine with me. It's a week late, so whatever. I just need to get this out. I need to get my thoughts out there. Uh, this game was one of the most... It was one of the most ridiculous Ohio State games we've watched, I think, in a, in a long time. And it, it felt like a game that, to me at least, I don't know how you guys feel, but if uh, to me it just felt like I never felt like they wouldn't come back at one point. I didn't know whether they would win, but when they got down, whatever it was, 14 nothing, and then 28-14 to or 35-21, to I guess was the halftime score, I never felt like this wouldn't be, this wouldn't come down to whoever had the ball last because even when the offense was 
making mistakes or had a hiccup. It just felt like the passing game was going so crazy. Like even when Stroud threw the interception in the end zone, it just felt like, okay, if the defense can get one stop, which at a certain point in the game uh, felt just impossible, but if they could get one stop, then the offense would get right back in the game. And that's what happened to the defense's credit. They played much better uh, in the second half. Not that that was a high bar to clear or anything, but it was just such a crazy game. So up and down. Uh, It was historic. I can't believe that I'm 12 and a half minutes into this thing and I haven't mentioned Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, An all-time performance, maybe the best single game performance in Ohio State history. I mean, what do you want to add up there with? I guess some of the stuff we've seen from Stroud this year, uh, Zeke, in the playoff in 2014 against Wisconsin, uh, JT Barrett against Penn State, JT Barrett against Michigan State in 2014, uh, Troy Smith in some of those Michigan games. I don't know. You can go down the list, Eddie George, whatever, depending on how old you are. But uh, recency bias aside, like 15 catches for 347 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, what can you really say other than just like, holy shit, how? How is that possible? And you add in the context that, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are out of the lineup. I'm not going to talk about opt-outs, by the way. We're we're done with that. We're not talking about opt-outs ever again, I guess, until uh, next December when it'll be another hot-button issue for like two weeks since that's always the cycle of it. But the fact that those two guys were out, and it's not like Utah didn't know. It's not like they were surprised. They had cornerback trouble or cornerback de- depth issues when they had to put uh, Bernard on him, and that's just... You know, that's the easiest matchup in the world when you got to put a two-way player on uh, Jackson Smith and Jigbo or Ohio State's offense sees that. But the the way it wasn't just like the sheer numbers and the clutch catches and the runs after catches. It was just how he did pretty much everything. He got yak. He was making catches over the middle. He was making catches on the outside. He was catching. He got a couple little uh, like bubble screens that he didn't break off for big gains. Uh, but he either got first downs or got positive yardage. There was the one play where hopefully we see more of in 2022 where they uh, put him in the backfield and kind of had that like a rounded angle route, which was incredible ball placement by C.J. Stroud. Uh, and then he took it down the middle of the field. And then, of course, the the final touchdown catch uh, over his shoulder to the outside. No idea how he tracked that ball. And it feels like everybody that talks about Jackson Smith and Jigba, like you can't really pinpoint what exactly makes him so good. And you can say, well, he's quick enough. Uh, he's fast enough. You're not going to be able to knock him off his routes, which Bill Landis, again, obligatory Bill Landis, uh, athletic article shout out, wrote about in uh, his postmortem of the Rose Bowl, was just how he doesn't get knocked off his routes easily and how big of a deal that is for a receiver to kind of stay in line with your quarterback and Those two have such great chemistry, Uh, but he just, I think he does everything, not even well enough. He does everything like at a 90% level and you add all that stuff up with how smart he is and you just have a player like we've seen in the last, I don't know, month or so of the season. The fact that that Michigan play, that catch he made on whatever it was, third and 18, isn't his best play of the season, that it's probably the Rose Bowl play. Uh, just just outstanding, man. And he's put together a list of catches between that Michigan one, um, 
the Rose Bowl touchdown, his first touchdown last year against Nebraska in the back of the end zone, where he's almost uh, just superhuman. And I'm so excited we get to see another year of him. But what a what a game, what a performance for him. That's one that uh, goes down in the record books, not only for Ohio State, but all of college football. And when you talk about him, you got to mention his quarterback too. And I, I talked about the chemistry that he has with Stroud and just C.J. Stroud overall, uh, 37 of 46, 573 yards, six touchdowns, one interception. Could have had probably one more interception, but probably could have had one more touchdown. I don't know. He was just, a, he was amazing, man. Um, and go check out that video that I posted on YouTube uh, from the Skycam view. If you really want to get an idea of some of the throws that CJ Stroud was making. I think that that video is very beneficial to just like really, it pops on the wow factor of how incredible of an arm that he has and how smart of a quarterback he is too. And I said, what a, what a special connection between uh, him and Smith and Jigba, but just what a, what a quarterback, man. And I said it, I think after either the Purdue game or the Michigan state game, where I went back and I referenced what I said after the Nebraska game where I was like, Hey, it's, it's time to consider like, what are we doing at quarterback here? And I said that, and that I didn't know whether he had what it takes to be a leader and be the quarterback for the team going forward in 2022 and 2023, what, you know, whatever, but CJ Stroud in these last, what, four games, Michigan State, Purdue, Michigan State, even in the loss against Michigan, and then Utah. Uh, I mean, obviously, I was wrong after what I said about about him against Nebraska, but I think that, uh, and I'm bringing this up because I've seen other people say, like, I was an idiot, I said that, and, like, guys, that's fine. It's fine to be wrong about sports, and you can be wrong, and also, like, I'll stand on what I said after the Nebraska game. The play at the end of the game was terrible, and whether you're a freshman or not, you can't make that play. But what makes him special and what makes him uh, such a good quarterback is he learned from it. He got better. And I think that uh, the stuff he uh, looked like he struggled with, whether it was leadership wise or kind of looking like a deer in the headlights, he didn't give me that look against Michigan. I didn't see that. I didn't see that against Utah. And that's why I think that, um, you know, I was saying in the in the preview for this game that I don't believe in bowl momentum. I, I really don't think that one win just carries over to the next season and you kind of, you push that to the next level. I I really don't think it translates. And I I still believe that after watching this game, but I think that whether it's from him or this team overall, this is a nice building block and a preview of what we can hopefully see in 2022. And when it comes to Stroud in that point, like he's led a, a game winning drive. He's led a comeback drive. His team had to battle back and did battle back really for the first time all season. That was something, again, that I talked about in the preview. I wanted to see them fight back. I wanted to see them show some fire. Somebody else show some leadership, especially with Haskell Garrett, Olave, Wilson, uh, and Nicholas petit Friere out on the offensive side. Like this was, this was Stroud's game. This was his game. This was his moment. And this was his moment. Yeah, I just said that. This was his moment and he took it. And just beyond the numbers and the sheer audacity of the throws, the fourth and one throw to uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., just obscene. The throw down the sideline to Emeka Abuka, ridiculous, filthy, disgusting. Uh, whatever, whatever word you want to use to describe his throws, 
there's just something about the way he throws the ball. And I think that the leadership stuff and those aspects of playing the position, it just takes time. And uh, it's taken time for him. But at the end of the season, I think you can safely say he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And I just can't wait to see uh, what he does next year. Um, we got a, We got a long way to go here. And I'm going to try to get through this without it being... Uh, an hour, but I wanted to lead off with Smith and Jigba and Stroud because that's, I mean, that's the big story of the game. But I think that just like overall, uh, this was like a really, again, back to the momentum thing. It was important for this team to finish on a positive note, I'll say, rather than to have momentum carrying into next year. And Smith and Jigba said that in his uh, presser before the game was like, we really, this is a must win game. We really need to win this going into 2022 because I, I think it was very important for them to not leave the season with a sour taste in their mouth. Like to me, this game was, you were, you're hung over, you know, if it, when you're just hung over as a dog, man, you're hung over as shit and you need something to eat and you go for something greasy. That's what this game was. It was just a greasy-ass meal for them to eat. And does it kill the hangover? Does it completely cure it? Like, no, that that's going to take time. But it makes you feel better. Like, you're still hungover, but you feel a little bit better. That's what this game was to me for Ohio State. And I think that it was a perfect representation of what this team was. The defense uh, really, really struggled for the first half. And then there were moments where they played well. They got a couple stops. And then uh, late in the fourth quarter... The offense, you know, they get the lead. And then Utah, of course, just like they score again. And so game tied and the offense has to go uh, win it. And it was just like a perfect representation of everything uh, with the strengths or weaknesses that this team was about this year. The offense had to put up 48 points to win a game against a Utah offense who's, you know, they're fine. They're good. But do you, should you need 48 points to win a game against them? Probably not. But that's just what this team was this year. And the fact that it was Stroud and the receivers, a different group of receivers, but the receivers nonetheless who are responsible for it, uh, you know, it's, it's fitting because that's what it was all season. They didn't get a great push in the run game. It was a little bit better in the second half. The defense was a mess, played better in the second half. You had a couple of splash plays, basically all the same problems and all the same things that were going right all season were there, including weird Ryan Day decisions, which I could record just a separate episode about that. Uh, Kicking to Britton Covey, who's probably the best returner in the country. Uh, Kicking to him all game, I I don't understand. He had the touchdown, and on that play, uh, Lathan Ransom got hurt on it. What He broke his leg. That was terrible. I'm glad that he seems to... I think he already had surgery. It seems like he's... On the road to recovery, so best wishes to uh, to Lathan Ransom on his recovery. That really sucked to watch him uh, go out like that, and it's on a play as backbreaking as a kick return for a touchdown. But uh, you know, kicking off to Britton Covey all game, continuing to do it after he housed that uh, return, um, including and then on the at the end kicking to him. I, I don't understand what that was. What a what a finish that would have been. What are we talking about today or all of this week? if Utah and Britton Covey find a way to return that for a touchdown and like not the same decision, but tying into that, uh, what led to that decision, the timeout with 12 seconds left 
on the last play of the game after they they handed the ball off to Travion Henderson and he got down to whatever it was, the four-yard line, it just made no sense. And after it happened, like in the moment, I heard people being like, oh, well, they they were out of timeouts. He couldn't do anything else. They They had to kick the field goal there. And then I went back and I watched it and I was like, well, they could have just let the clock run down to like four seconds or three seconds. That made no sense. And maybe there was a miscommunication there. I, I don't know. Maybe they didn't know they only had one timeout, but whatever it was, it was very bad. So the Ryan Day decision-making that can pop up at certain times and late in games, it popped up again. So it just felt like it was a very fitting way for the 2021 Ohio State season to end. But again, that hangover's still there, but you ate something greasy at the end of the year. You feel a little bit better. You're going into next season on a positive note. And I'm not here to complain. We're not here to really talk about the things that were bad in this game. I I said in the in the preview that no matter what happened, that they were going to go down as a team in all of our memories that they were the ones who finally lost to Michigan. And not only lost to Michigan, they were the team that lost to Michigan and got punked by them. Because, hey, if you if you lose a, a close game to that Michigan team in that weather with some of the issues it sounds like between COVID and flu that Ohio State was having, I can take that, man. It is what it is. College football's uh, a crazy game, and in rivalries like that, and with Michigan being as good as they are, despite the fact of what happened to them, against Georgia, like, there's no shame in that. Shit happens, sometimes you lose. But the fact that they not only lost, they just got punked, that, no matter what happened after that, they were always going to go down as that team. And and this win over Utah in the Rose Bowl, it doesn't change that. But back to the hangover thing and just eating a nice meal, it it makes you feel a little bit better. It doesn't completely cure everything that happened. It doesn't Uh, change the Oregon loss or how they looked against Penn State or Nebraska but you finish the season on a positive note and it puts you on the road to recovery and doing hopefully big things in 2022 and too like we saw or at least I saw a lot of what I wanted to see in this game I asked for energy I feel like we saw that asked for them to like please once this year don't be front runners and they weren't like it would have been nice to see him get out to a lead. They didn't get out to a lead, but they got down and they fought back. And it feels like when I say that I this was the first time they battled through adversity, is that true? No. Like these guys play hurt every week. There's, there's stuff we don't know about in their personal lives or injuries or with their mental health. Like I don't want to, when I say that they battled through adversity for the first time, I mean as a team and came out and won, not personally or that games weren't hard or they should just steamroll everybody. But really for the first time all year, it didn't look like when they got down that it was just like, oh, here we go again. Just going to be one of those games. And maybe that's just the extra juice you get playing in the Rose Bowl. But to me, that was very noticeable. And it's interesting, and I won't go into it any further because I don't know, but it's interesting that uh, you had four of your veteran leaders out and the team got down again and like the, oh, we can't, we can't come back or it's going to be one of those days. It didn't seem like that mentality was there. The energy didn't leave. And I, I'm not trying to say anything about the players that left, but I, we've talked all year about leadership 
And I don't really think that it was just for whatever reason, it wasn't there player-wise for this team this year. And now you get in the Rose Bowl, and it's a first first time for a lot of these guys on both sides of the ball. And nobody, not that nobody gave up all year, but it just didn't feel like there was this defeatist attitude on the sideline or that like you felt like, oh, here we go again. They just kept fighting, man. And like I said earlier, I never felt like they weren't going to come back. Against Michigan, I felt like they weren't going to come back. Against Oregon, I felt like they weren't going to come back for the most part. Maybe, you know, when they made it a seven-point game there at the end, it was like, okay, they're going to do this. But I felt much differently when they were down in this game than I did against Oregon or against Michigan or even in the Nebraska or Penn State games. I just felt much different about this one, and I don't know why. Again, maybe I'm just throwing shit at the wall, but uh, to me, it's it says something without saying anything that there were a lot of guys in their first big-time action in the Rose Bowl this year, and the mentality seemed to be a little bit different than what it was all year. So I don't know. Maybe just something that I'm reading into it, but I also think that it's something that's important going forward when you look at guys like uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. and put aside the three touchdowns that he scored or what Ameka Abuka did or Court Williams uh, being on the field and making his that tackle on a, on a third down. I think it was in the, the third or the fourth quarter. Uh, those guys just being on the field for critical moments. That was another thing that I wanted to see. And that was huge for them. That's so massive that they're not only out there, but they're all making plays, whether it's Abuka's kick return that kind of put that uh, game-winning drive in position. And he had a couple of nice returns and had that catch down the, uh, the sideline. Reference Court Williams' third down stop, uh, tackle in the red zone. Uh, it's just huge to have that experience, not only just for that game, but in a win. That they know that this is what it takes to get a win at this level against a very good Utah team and I feel terrible for those guys if they were playing anybody else I would have been rooting for Utah like their their fans just have to be crushed man that was their that was their moment in Ohio State of all programs our our asshole team uh took it and our asshole fan base uh was there to to gloat at the end and be happy about it so uh Utah man feel bad for you but uh hopefully they have another good year next year because they're they're a lot of fun to watch I really dig that program but all those young guys making plays man it was really cool and I think it's huge that they have that experience going into the Notre Dame game. That next year, starting the year, that isn't uh, Court Williams' first big experience in a game like that or Marvin Harrison Jr. Regardless of how talented you are, you need reps. You need to play. And so all these guys getting reps and playing and making plays at this high of a level, that's where I think more so than like the, the momentum thing, that's what's more important going into that Notre Dame game and next year of guys being like, okay, this moment isn't too big for me because kickoff next year for that Notre Dame game, it's going to be crazy. And it doesn't matter that it's at home. Those guys are going to feel it, but they had that experience, which was basically a a road game too. I think that plays a part into it as well. They basically played a road game for this Rose bowl and they, they came out on top. I think that's a, that's a huge thing. I referenced uh, leadership and CJ Stroud. This is, this is his team now. He led that comeback. This was his moment, and he did that. He made some incredible throws, and uh, now there there is no Wilson. There is no Olave, and yeah, there's still vets on the offense and vets on the defense along with him, but uh, when you're 
when you do that well as a quarterback and you make those throws and you lead that type of drive there at the end and that type of comeback in the second half, uh, it's yours now, man. And you don't have any choice but to make noise and be vocal and lead these guys going forward. And I think that he's going to kill it in that role. Players seem to be drawn to him. So uh, I'm I'm really glad and happy for C.J. Stroud that after that kind of stretch he had this year, that he was able to bounce back in those last four games. And even in the loss to Michigan, he showed me a lot. And then to get a win in the Rose Bowl like that, uh, and to for him to go back home and do it, that's pretty special. So love to see that. Um, one of the other things that I said I wanted to see uh, before this game was a deep outside passing game. And again, like with the, the leadership thing and those vets being gone, it doesn't make sense. Just like it doesn't make sense to have the deep outside passing game finally come alive after Wilson and Olave leave. Like Harrison, Ibuka, and Smith and Jigba all made plays on the outside. And that was something that they just consistently, for whatever reason, they couldn't find this year for the most part, especially Stroud and Olave. There was just, there was something about that chemistry, man, this year. I've been saying it all season. That was just, that was just off when it came to those plays down the field. And we saw uh, Harrison on the fourth and one catch. We saw Mecca Ibuka down the field. We saw Smith and Jigbo on his touchdown catch and a few other throws down the field that they were able to complete on. That's a component to this offense that was there with Justin Fields, and it really wasn't there consistently. Not that it's just one person's fault, but I think everybody kind of played a role into it. They just couldn't get it down, and they were amazing in it this uh, in this Rose Bowl game. So that's something for the offense. It's so easy to focus on just like the offensive line, the running game, whatever. That's another element to the offense where you have a quarterback this accurate, and if he's putting the ball on the money, like those touchdown throws from 30, 35, 40 yards out, like good luck trying to stop the other components of the offense. So just another thing to be excited about for 2022. Uh, Other things worth talking about from this game, I've spent all of it talking about the offense because why would we really talk about the defense that much? But there were some good things. Uh, first of all, goodbye to this defense just in, in general. Uh, Matt Barnes is off to Memphis. I'm not going to say anything super negative about him. I mean, he was put in a tough situation this year, and I, I think just a tough situation by Ryan Day overall, having to take over for Kerry Combs and figure out just how to make this defense work at a at its most basic level. And there were times that he did that, but when they played against top-tier competition more often than not, other than the Michigan State game. They just really couldn't couldn't figure it out this year. And I'm not going to blame that on Matt Barnes or anything, but it just was what it was, and hopefully he has more success at Memphis. And, uh, hey, man, thanks thanks for stepping up in a, in a bad situation and just making the most out of it, I guess. And you know what? The defense does deserve their credit uh, for how they played in the second half. It doesn't take away uh, – the first half at all. That's not how football works or the fact that Utah scored 45 points and that your offense needed 48 to win this game. And it doesn't take away uh, the missed tackles in the first half or being out of position. That looked like that looked like the first three weeks of the season there for a little bit in the first half. It doesn't take away any anything the way they played in the second half. It doesn't take away anything from that first half. But uh, there is stuff to 
to give guys their props for and to be excited about. Uh, first and foremost, Tommy Eichenberg, man. Like, what a, what a game from him. 17 tackles, at least one tackle for loss. He was everywhere. I think total tackles is kind of outdated because you could have 17 tackles that are 30 yards downfield. But he had a, a very good 17 tackle game because one of the things we've been talking about all year is just like, does, can somebody just know where they're going? Can somebody know where they're going, get there, and make a play? And he did that. That's all we've been asking for. And whether he played well or not this year, I think people can debate it, but I think he got better as the year went on. And he had a really strong game in uh, the Rose Bowl. We'll see where he fits in into this next defense under Jim Knowles. I don't know. But uh, if you play like that, man, you, you have a spot. You have a role. If you just know where you're going and you can go and make a play and make a tackle, you have a role in any defense. So Tommy Eichenberg making plays, love to see it. Uh, what else do I have written down here? Teron Vincent with another year, question mark? I hope so. If he plays like that, god damn. Uh, when I went back and watched this season, he was a player that flashed at times where he you could just see him like, if he gets leverage or he knifes through, man. He just has, he, like, whatever that is, he has that at certain times. It's not always there, but you see it. And you see it more so than you see from, I don't know, I, I saw it more from him than I really saw for Haskell Garrett this year, oddly enough. Uh, but he was, again, everywhere. He was blowing plays up. He was taking on blockers. Um, just awesome that he was healthy. Like, that's just been his his biggest thing. His whole career is being healthy and staying on the field. And so whether he wants to go to the draft or not, uh, I, I'm rooting for him either way. But an, another year and another year of health for him Hell, man, that that looks like a guy who came into Ohio State as a five-star. That was the player we saw in the Rose Bowl. And uh, if you just want to I keep talking about the Sky Cam, you want to just go watch a player, watch Teron Vincent in the Rose Bowl. If you're, I mean, obviously, you're going to go watch Stroud or the receivers. You're going to watch all the big plays. But outside of that, you want to watch somebody, watch Teron Vincent because he was just knifing through and he was just beating the hell out of that Utah offensive line. Uh, Court Williams... Less because I thought like he completely balled out. There were a couple plays. He had a pass interference. He got, I think, beat on another play. But just to see him in there and uh, the intriguing nature that like he could play as a linebacker in this next defense, I don't know. He is, whenever I hear the word hybrid, I feel like the Ohio State coaches have messed that word up for us for the last like five or six years, and it just makes me not trust it. But I think whatever Jim Knowles wants to do with him, he'll he'll find a way to make Court Williams a productive player. And I keep bringing up that uh, that third down tackle that he made. Again, uh, there were plays that he'd probably want back, but just like Eichenberg, he was everywhere. He was going places, and he was going places with a purpose. And that's what really has been a problem for this defense all season long was just finding players who knew what they were doing whether that was the coach's fault or their fault, whoever, that's that's not for me to decide. But Court Williams looked like he knew what he was doing out there and he was going to places in the ball carrier with a purpose. So I don't know if he's going to be the best in coverage, but he's a guy that is a player that, to me, like his best attribute is he can just go out and fuck shit up. Like that is very most rudimentary level. That is Court Williams' strength. And I think that Knowles will find a way to put him on the field and have him do just that. So I'm excited to watch him play. Uh, Ronnie Hickman's play on Utah's fourth down late in the game, uh, even though there was also the TD he gave up in the the interference penalty. 
Um, he's a dude who I think has had a little bit of an up and down season. I, he was probably the best defender through the first like four weeks. And then it kind of felt like he might've lost his way. He led the team in tackles. I don't think, I don't think anybody up in front of him did him any favors this year. And hopefully uh, next year with a little bit more stable of a base in front of him, we can see kind of the full potential that he has. But uh, I, I'm still, I'm still high on Ronnie Hickman. I think he's a good player and uh, he, again, he's a dude who just looks like he knows where he needs to be. And is is he an All-American? Pro- probably not. I don't know. But I think he's a good player and he's a piece for this defense to uh, build off of. And then the last thing I have written down for the defense, at least for now, is Cade Stover at linebacker. That looks like his natural position. Put him at linebacker. That's where he should have been the whole time. Uh, tight end, I don't know what they're going to do. Next year, Jeremy Rucker today just announced he was He's off to the NFL, um, so we'll we'll talk more in the offseason, I guess, about tight end because I don't want to do that right now. But uh, Kate Stover looks like he is a natural fit at linebacker. And please, God, next year, can we just stop with the position switches? Like, just have people in their regular-ass position. Uh, and if you want a position switch on one side of the ball, that's fine. But let's... But we can we can just ease off for a little while on the offense to defense or defense to offense switches. I've had we've had enough of that. Uh, but again, there's stuff to build on with this defense, and they ended it with the way they played in the second half on a positive note. And it's time for the Jim Knowles era, and it's very exciting watching Oklahoma State all year, and then even without him to watch what they did in the second half against Notre Dame. Uh, we should all be really excited for it. No hire is a slam dunk or a guaranteed success, but this is one where it feels like, man, if Ohio State just can play good, if they can just play good defense, what is this program going to be? And we've been asking that for, what, four out of the last five years now. So uh, I think 2019 did a good job illustrating of what it could possibly be, and, and hopefully we see more of that going forward. So defensively, hopefully brighter days ahead. Uh, Other stuff here. This is the best slash healthiest that Travion Henderson looked in a while. There was just that last portion of the season where just kind of looked like he had just been taking a beating all year. He broke some tackles. Uh, Again, there were some stats that Bill Landis put out in that article that uh, it was his most broken tackle since Penn State, maybe in most yards after contact since the Penn State game, and that was a long time ago. Uh, So he looked like he was much healthier than he had been for the last couple of uh, months of the season. And there didn't look like there were too many holes to run through. So he gutted out, I think, like 83 yards or 82 yards on 17 carries or something. So I think he did the most with with which what he could, if that is even English. I don't know. Uh, Goodbye to the all-tackle offensive line. Uh, While I'm talking about Travion Henderson, we might as well go back to the run game here. Uh, Just zero push, pretty much all game. I have written down here because I wrote these notes before uh, what happened today. I said the run scheme needs a facelift. Uh, Can they figure it out? I don't know what they're going to do next. I don't know how much Kevin Wilson plays a part into that, but no matter who it is, just changing offensive line coaches isn't the be-all, end-all for the run game because uh, they have to figure out uh, how to run the ball, not just in the pistol or under center. Like every run from them seems so telegraphed. And I know that Stroud isn't going to be a running quarterback, but like 
There's there's other ways to run the ball than just getting under center or in the pistol. And Ryan Day, that might be, what's the word I'm looking for? It, objective number one this offseason offensively is just figuring out creative ways to run the ball that aren't under center and aren't in the pistol. They have to figure that out. And that doesn't have to involve the offensive line. Just anything scheme-wise, run-wise different than what they're doing. And you can still keep that stuff in, but uh, there has to be something outside of under center or in the pistol because it just seems extremely telegraphed. And just how to run the ball in general, I guess, Next year, that's the other, the second thing I have written down. Uh, they need better offensive line play. They need a better scheme. They need a more creative scheme. Uh, they just need a better everything and better offensive line play. Matthew Jones, I think, played well on the interior. Uh, we'll see what ultimately the offensive line ends up being. We'll still see if uh, Daywan Jones, like, is he going to come back? I, I don't know if it would be a big loss if he didn't. And that's not even to say that he played bad, but I, I think it's, time for that next wave and to just get a fresh start on the offensive line or I I wouldn't be opposed to that but the offensive line has to be better next year they have to run the ball better and it's not just on the line it's not just on whoever takes over as line coach uh, but Ryan Day plays a part into it the scheme of it Kevin Wilson who you know hopefully is the next one to go out of this sorry if that's me rooting for somebody to lose their job but like Got to do something else there. I don't think much changes if he's still in the role that he's in. But if he is, same thing with Day. They have to find a way to do something different than what they did this year because it was so telegraphed and none of it was original. None of it kept the defense off balance. And when you have a passing game that good and you struggle that much to get a push with blue chip offensive linemen and uh, Travion Henderson, Mayan Williams, whoever else you want to put back there running back even when they ran Garrett Wilson a few times, uh, it's just not acceptable, and you have to find a way to do it better. That's it for my offensive line takes. That's We'll, we'll revisit that later in the offseason or if there are other moves along the offensive staff. Uh, I want to talk about Marvin Harrison Jr. and Abuga before I get out of here because uh, I, I mentioned him briefly a little bit ago, but Harrison Jr., man, just into his first real meaningful reps. like he's He's gotten snaps before in these games, but this is like, he, he played the whole game. Everything people said about him that, hey, he's pretty polished. He's, he's technical. He can run routes. Uh, yeah, pretty much all of, all of those things. Three touchdowns, uh, all three beautiful, beautiful routes by him. Uh, the one down the sideline, uh, what body control there in the corner of the end zone and getting off the release there on a fourth and one and tracking that ball and scoring uh what was was his second one kind of that in cut where he just he set up the route db had no chance on that one beautiful cut and then i think the third one was kind of the the fade in the end zone on what was it third down uh just another that's a that's a grown wide receiver type of play not one where a dude is making his first start so uh as tough as it is to lose Wilson and Olave. I think this receiver room is going to be in pretty good hands. And all these guys can do so much too, which uh, which is, I, I think, very uh, important. So Marvin Harrison Jr., that was really his his welcome party. And uh, defenses already know now, like Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman, James Laurinaitis, everybody else on that Notre Dame defensive staff, 
Uh, they already know that they got to worry about him too. And they got to worry about Emeka Ibuka, uh, who we haven't seen a ton like of him out wide. He had the catch down the field, which again, I think this is the third, fourth time I brought it up. His body control, the way he got his foot down. When you see a young player who really hasn't gotten many reps this year making that type of catch in the Rose Bowl, uh, what kid? What else can you say? But just like, oh shit, here, here's here's another one. Another one's coming down the pike. And uh, watching him on on kickoff returns is something that really stood out to me. Again, YouTube.com/slash Colton Denning, or just search Emeka Abuka Ohio State highlights and go to go to the one that says Colton Denning under it. Uh, his contact balance on like kick returns. Uh, there's one in the Purdue game where he gets hit a couple of times and just like breaks through a scrum that he has no business breaking through, and he did it against Utah too. And the way that he set up that return that gave them great field position at the end of the game. Uh, that's a dude who doesn't have a lot of reps and game on the line. He makes a play like that. Uh, what What's his offensive role going to be next year? Uh, when you lose dudes like number five and number two, you think like, okay, well, Jackson Smith and Jigba, he's going to be the guy. And how does everybody else settle in? Well, now with, Ibuka and Harrison it's like and to like to a lesser extent Julian Fleming who got some run and same as Teron Vincent just to see him healthy on the field and I know even uh then he kind of went off with a shoulder thing uh just to see him on the field was great too but like those top three guys Ibuka Smith and Jigba and Harrison what does that look like for defenses and I think Ibuka is going to be that guy that really surprises a lot of people next year and the thing Again, that stands out to me is that contact balance, man. He breaks tackles like it's nobody's business. Uh, and I, I really am very intrigued to see what his role is next season because we haven't seen a ton, but this was a little preview of it, and he is much more than just a kick returner. He is going to be a problem next year, I think, over the middle and down the field. He is a special receiver. Uh, that's Those are pretty much all my thoughts on individual players or the game. I, what else, what else can I say? It was exciting as hell. It was fun. I drank a lot of Coors Lights while I was watching it and, and cutting highlights and talking shit and just having the time of my life watching that game. It was nice to, again, end the season on that note and to, to watch them come back like that and to have, uh, that moment, uh, in a win, uh, before I forget while I'm talking about players, Demario McCall, man, there was, uh, there was that picture of him after the game, just kind of standing in the confetti by himself. And he had given a couple of interviews about just talking about his his journey through Ohio State and wanting to get to the next level. Uh, those are the players that, like, it's easy for us to talk about Ibuka or, I mean, I don't know, I'm starting with him. Uh, it's easy for us to talk about C.J. Stroud or Jackson Smith and Jigbar, Travion Henderson or Ibuka or Harrison or some of the notable players on defense, or some of the new guys coming in. Uh, we don't talk enough about the Demario McCalls, which is funny because it was always like a meme, right? But Demario McCall, not that any guy who decides to leave is doing it wrong, but he stayed through a lot of shit and just kept plugging along, man, and found his way. And did he ever make like a huge game-changing play? This year, no, but he stuck with it, man. And to see him on the on the field there at the end of the game and go out as a Rose Bowl champion, it's awesome. And I hope that he 
carves away for himself in the NFL. And those are those are the real stories that are are what take this to the next level and being a fan for and rooting for somebody and make it more than just a connection of like, oh, I like you because you make a ton of plays because that's, you know, that's easy to make that connection. But just a dude who you're just happy to root for, man, and you want to see him succeed. So a uh, shout out to Demario McCall on a on just a crazy career and the fact that he saw it through and ended up uh, as a Rose Bowl champ and hopefully can find a way to to make it at the next level. I, I know I'm not the only one who's really rooting for him. Uh, other stuff that I have written down, I don't really want to talk about the playoff a ton. I, I mentioned uh, Michigan and how that relates to Ohio State. Um, you know, watching Michigan get destroyed like that, like in looking at Ohio State, it's like you guys got what you deserved. Like you need to get back to that level that Georgia's at and that Alabama's at because you saw where Michigan is in relation to those teams. Do you really think you're there with Michigan in relation to Georgia? I don't think so, but they need to go out there and prove it. It's It was after watching all the games and, and watching Alabama and Cincinnati, I know I'm not the only one who thinks like, it was for it was for the taking this year, man. Like even if Alabama wins this game and beats Georgia again, it's going to be like, oh, everybody thought Alabama was was dead, and look at look at where they are now. Again, national champions. Alabama could have lost that game to Cincinnati. They should have lost to Auburn. They should have probably lost to Tennessee. They probably should have or could have lost to LSU. Uh, it was really for the taking this year, and the fact that Ohio State just kind of laid two shits. Uh, just wasn't ready defensively and didn't have it together there. Uh, that's that's what kind of makes this season extra better because it was it was there for the taking. And 2020 sucked because it like you can't do anything about 2020. You know it was a miracle that they even got into the playoff and got to play seven games. Who knows what it looks like if in that alternate uni- universe where everything is normal. This year it was and it was for the taking and they just kind of let it slip through their fingers and so hopefully they see what happened to Michigan and they see how they ended the year and like they get back to that that spot next year because that's where they probably should have been but they didn't deserve it this year they didn't earn it and they got exactly what they deserved and hey it was still still a I was gonna say a great season I don't know if it was a great season it was a good season you won the Rose Bowl again Nice way to finish it off. It leaves a good taste in your mouth at the end of the year, but watching Michigan get destroyed like that and watching Alabama kind of just grind Cincinnati like it was uh, their game against Washington in 2016 where it was like, uh, we're really not that good, but we're better than you guys, so we're just kind of kind of let you do what you do and let our defense handle it, and then we'll just grind you down the field. That's what it really felt like, and uh, it's it's a shame, man, because this was really the year that they could have had a chance to do it. And it was with a super young roster. And hopefully next year it's kind of shaping up to be the one where they really make a run at it. But it was also this year too. And when you have this type of talent, uh, it shouldn't be ending the way it did for Ohio State this year, as great as it was to win the Rose Bowl. So those are my thoughts on the playoffs. We're almost an hour here. Uh, the only other thing I have written down uh, is about Marcus Williamson. I'm sure if you're on Twitter, you've been following that whole thing. I don't really have any thoughts about it. I hope that whatever he does next, he's happy, he's safe, and he's healthy at whatever at whatever that is. And I think that it is important that he illuminates his experience 
uh, in Ohio State athletics, playing college football, playing big time college football and everything that comes with it. And I think that there's going to be a lot of mudslinging back and forth in there kind of already has been. But I hope that regardless, man, that stories like his and other athletes coming out are a wake up call for these coaches that these kids aren't just pieces of meat to treat like shit. Like, and I, I, college football is what it is and it's the dark side of it. And it doesn't, that doesn't make it right by any means, but hopefully stuff like him talking kind of helps change that culture because it's still pretty bad in that regard. And I know that there have been some fans that are upset about it. And like, is he lying or not? I don't know. I'm, I'm not one. I, I don't know anything about anything going on here and I'm not going to speculate about something uh, like that. So if those types of things are happening, man, it doesn't matter if it's Ohio state or anybody else that shit just can't fly. And so I think his experience is his experience and he's speaking his truth. And so hopefully the coaches uh, can take from that and learn from that. And whether it was them or not, who were either treating him wrong or uh, the stuff like posting the picture of Trayvon Martin, like even if Ryan day isn't involved in that, Ryan day can learn from that and know, Hey, these, these are things which should be obvious of like, this is what I should not do, but just taking those and using it as a lesson to be better going forward. So I'm sure this is not the end of everything and the end of this conversation. And I know there was a a story about him in the LA times today. And again, I, I hope that whatever he does in the future, he's happy and safe and, uh, and healthy and, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I have to to say about it. But I, I'm sure that it's not over on uh, on either side. I had I talked about all my thoughts on the season. I don't need to go back into that. Uh, when it comes to this pod, I'm, I swear I'm going to get out of here in like the next five or so minutes. Um, I, it's not going to be weekly on Scarlet and Gray Stripes. At least I'm going to keep doing two stripes podcast. So if you just want to listen to me talk about college football, I may talk about the Alabama Georgia game. I don't know. I really don't think there's a ton to break down. And that one, maybe if something funny happens. I'll do like a post game or just like a, a college football season uh, recap and just talk about some of my favorite things this year. But um, I, I'm going to continue to do the two stripes pod probably like once a week or once every couple of weeks. Scarlet and gray stripes is just going to be as big news happens. Like I don't follow recruiting like some of you guys do. I don't I don't care enough, like quite honestly, to just follow it year round. Like I'll, I'll check in on you know, like some of the big stories happening but like you're not going to hear me podding about any you know five-star recruit that commits or whatever maybe a a post full signing day or something maybe a spring pod but when big news pops up i'll be on her here or whenever i want to riff i'll talk about ohio state so just stay tuned follow along with me on twitter at dubs co uh follow the show subscribe if you like the show if you've been listening for this whole time thank you so much i appreciate it if you've been listening throughout this whole season uh, it's my first season back after taking off 2020 and first time I've really been just producing this and doing this all alone. It's been a hell of a lot of fun. The shows, both shows have grown much more than they did in the past, which I think is super awesome. And I, I'm still just floored away that anybody would listen to me talk about anything, but I really appreciate it. Uh, if, if you like it, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave a review, leave a star rating, Uh, Tell a friend about it who likes college football or Ohio State. Uh, Follow on Spotify 
and uh, SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash two stripes pod. But it's going to be come and go for the scarlet and gray stripes, but I'll still be around. And uh, we're going to be amping up for next season, man. I'm already I'm already in that mode. And uh, if you really want to see where I'm active at, it's going to be on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Colton Denning. A lot of throwback highlights coming your way. I think maybe one of my best throwback highlights of all time is going to be next year in the next couple of uh, couple of weeks or like the next month or so. Nobody's done a video for this player yet, so I'm super excited about it. From uh, from the mid-90s, late 90s, mid-90s, around that early 2000s, I guess, era. So be on the lookout for that, youtube.com slash Colton Denning. Best game ever, or not best game ever, worst game ever. I'll have that up as the offseason goes on. So stay locked into the YouTube channel, twostripecpd.com. That's where I'm just going to have all my writing. I'll have a college football kind of, again, season recap up there after the Alabama-Georgia game uh, and just random thoughts. So either subscribe to that or you can read for free if you want to subscribe. It's either $7 a month or $50 a year. I make that up there because, or I put that up there, and it's paid because I don't charge anybody anything for anything. So if you want to support my work, whether it's this or YouTube or Twitter stuff that I do, I don't know, whatever it is, if you want to support my work, twostripecpd.com and subscribe to it, seven a month or $50 a year and for the people that subscribe i really appreciate it and it means a lot to me that any of y'all rock with me for uh for all the stuff that i do so that's pretty much it i'm gonna wrap up on that note thank you guys once again for listening it's been so much fun this year i'll be back in the next couple of weeks to talk about hopefully more staff changes uh on ohio state's staff and anything else any other crazy shit that happens at college football so you never know and stay tuned on the feed because i'll have two stripes up here, uh, like I said, either weekly or every other week throughout the offseason. So yeah, that's it, man. Hope you guys are having a wonderful start to your year. I'm Colton Denning. I'm the host of this podcast. I'm the host of Two Stripes Podcast too. And I will holler at you next time. Peace.